Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It is time for Not Your Average Bears post-game show. Bill Zimmerman with you. And this week, I am joined by none other than Jacob Infante. Now, Jacob filled in on this post-game show uh, early in the season in September, and he got to do the Chiefs game. So now Jacob has the privilege of doing that god-awful game and this god-awful finish. So, Jacob, Bill Zimmerman, how are you doing right now? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm just I'm just kind of numb at this point. Like, I keep feel I feel like every single time the Bears find an even more impressive way to let me down. And I, I wasn't even surprised. Like, after a certain point, we were talking before we hit record here. We're like, oh – Maybe things are turning around. You know, this seems like a game that they can win. And then, obviously, things fell apart. So, I'm doing all right personally, but in the grand scheme of things, like after this game, uh, I just – I really wish that I could go, like, be on this show for, like, a good game, like a fun game that I enjoy talking about and I enjoyed watching. Yeah, uh, and, and I really <laughs> thought you were going to have that. I mean, and, yeah. and I'm serious. When when I said, you know, when it was 17-7, whatever it was in the fourth quarter, I, I was feeling confident the Packers lost, and I'm sitting here going, all right, the Bears now control their own, own death. I was counting my chickens before they're hatched. The Bears now control their own destiny with Green Bay. The, AF, the NFC South is going to sort itself out. The Seahawks are going to lose to the Eagles Monday night. And we just have to worry about the Vikings and, and the Rams. And, and they're going to be in a good position. And I'm picturing Sunday night football and week 18. Like, I was just diving in. I was ready to go full meatball. I was yeah. I was just – I was brimming with confidence, and I understand the Broncos game and the Lions game, and but I felt like this team had, had turned the corner. We always heard last year, uh, Hogs and the Weeders and all these guys, the Bears need to learn how to win. The Bears need to learn how to win. Like, well, you know what? They're learning how to win. They've won three out of four. It was a close game with the Panthers. Like, yeah. it felt, you know, close game with the Vikings. I'm like, this team is learning how to win. They're not going to blow this one. Like yeah. I had so much confidence and it just have your heart ripped out. You know, and like I said, right before we started live here, like the bears bared it up. They did it again. Yeah. And I mean, at a certain point it stops becoming, Oh, you know, you're winning just to learn how to win. You're winning at this point to compete for a playoff spot. And when you're coming in five and eight, obviously the chances of that happening weren't super high, but with a win here, I mean, you never know. Like, you could be in a, a decent enough situation. You have the Falcons, Packers, and uh, Cardinals left to close out the year. That's, in theory, that seemed doable. But with the way that they performed today, I'm not so sure. With the way that they choked down the stretch, uh, I don't know. I feel like they'll win one more game, but I don't feel confident that uh, they're going to be able to reach. I feel like 7-10 and 10, 
we kind of talked about at the beginning of the year as that's the like the you know the midway point where it's like all right i could you, you could have a debate on your hands if you're going to keep fields if you're going to keep eberflus anything less than that and it would be a disappointment and that's what we're looking at right now so yeah, just a tough loss. I mean, they had things going, especially defensively, so well for the first three quarters. And then I feel like a lot of it came down to coaching. They just played soft. They played scared. Uh, They're so focused on not trying to give up the big play that Joe Flacco, the dink and dunk king, was just able to, uh, you know, use his veteran savvy to, you know, come off the couch just a month ago. And then now he's carving up Chicago's defense with ease. So, Uh, That's not the type of defense you can play against a quarterback like that. Uh, But that's what the Bears did, and it didn't work out for them. Yeah, it it, it didn't. We'll we'll get in a big picture here and and what this all means, but let's spend some time. Let's talk about this game. You know, the the first quarter was one of the ugliest pieces of football I have seen in a really long time. And, yeah, the weather is going to play a factor with that, absolutely. But, I mean – both sides of the ball, Browns and the Bears, it was sloppy. I mean, I think when you factor in penalties, it was around 50 total yards for both teams in the first quarter and two total first downs. Like, it was just three and out after three and out after three and out. Ugly game. It started feeling a little better in the second quarter. But, like, again, you sit here and go – you know, you, you sit there and question some of the things Luke Getze does because the game plan, you know, it's been really good of late, right? Out of the gate, those scripted first plays always were kind of humming. That was not the case today. It was not a good setup out of the gate. Fields kind of felt like he was battling and making some battle plays, but his overall performance was 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 up and down and choppy. You have the Tanyan drop. I mean, and, and that Fields ball was perfect. I mean, you yeah. literally could not have placed the ball in Tanyan's hands better than that. It was just one of those first halves, Jacob, before we get to this wild second half, one of those first halves, it was just up and down. But, you know, when you reached halftime, you felt pretty good about where at least the Bears had gotten. No, definitely. And, I mean, I feel like I was able to, you know, we are able to look at that and say, all right, well, the offense – isn't performing all that well right now, but the defense is really holding its own. And at that point with how the defense has performed, you start to think, okay, they're in this, they can make this a game. And obviously ending the quarter zero to zero, like that's no football fan wants to see that. Like that's boring ass football right there, which I thought it was, but at the same time, you know, the defense was strong. I think throughout the day, the pass rush was good against a depleted Browns offensive line. So, you know, maybe take that with a grain of salt, but they did what they were supposed to do. That's what they put pressure on a quarterback. They got to the quarterback. And especially when you're, it's a guy like Joe Flacco who can't necessarily move around in the pocket super well, who can't scramble and extend the play, then that's what you want to see. So they did that. And I feel like for the most part, especially early on, the defensive performance was fantastic. Uh, what the pressure they're able to generate up front, uh, how they performed in coverage. I think, you know, Tyreek Stevenson made a few good plays on the ball. Jalen Johnson overall performed pretty well, in my opinion. And once it got to around like the middle of the field, things were a little bit choppier. David Njoku had a great game and uh, he was able to even extend some plays along the perimeter towards the sideline. But you're looking at 
Stevenson had two uh, pass breakups. TJ Edwards broke up two passes, and one of those ended up tipping into Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, and no. and he, he, here's what I would say because there's going to be a lot of negatives in, in this post game show. So yeah. let, let me let me take a minute for for a positive here, and that positive being Montez Sweat because you know, and I tweeted this out. I had no idea Montez Sweat was this good. And I knew he was a very good football player. I knew he, I kind of looked at him as a guy who was great at setting the edge, really good against the run and could provide a pass rush. But I really, I thought Montez Sweat, a lot of his pass rush productivity was due to Chase Young and Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and just having all these guys around him. And I was like, now he's going to start getting double teams. It's going to be a lot more difficult for him. You know, hopefully it'll help out the other, the other guys up front. I did not expect this kind of impact from Montez Sweat. And I know that the Browns were way down on, on tackles and Joe Flacco can't move. I, I get all that, but this doesn't go, it goes beyond this game. His impact since he's been aboard and, and you're talking about, he's still leading the commanders in sacks. He's leading the bears in sacks. It, it's a remarkable how well he's playing. He is elevating the defense around him. Demarcus Walker is suddenly an impact player. He was okay. He was pretty good the first half of the season, but now he's an impact player. And I'll tell you what, Jacob, the one guy I've been getting on, I got on a lot the first half of the season was Tremaine Edmonds. And I never said he was playing poorly. I just said he was never living up to his contract. But since Montez Sweat's arrival and the entire defensive front being elevated, because like Yannick Ngakwe wasn't out there today, you didn't notice the defensive line was still so good. Yeah. The, the fact that that defensive line is playing so well right now, it gives Tremaine Edmonds opportunities to make plays. He doesn't have to fight through as much traffic, and we're seeing it. And we saw, you know, it makes another, you know, couple really good stops today. And, of course, the pick six. It's elevating the entire – like Montez Sweat has made the secondary better. He's made the linebackers better. He's made the defensive line better. And he's made Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, better. His impact here is is practically immeasurable to me. Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. And like you said, I don't think anybody really could have seen this level of impact coming right out of the gate. Obviously, Montez Sweat was, you know, a very good player in Washington, and he ha- he's had a very good NFL career to this point. But since he's come to Chicago, I mean, it's been an entire unit transformation. I'm Like you said, the defensive line, like guys like Demarcus Walker, Justin Jones were able to make some plays, whether it's rushing the passer or uh, defending the run. TJ Edwards has been able to make some plays. Tremaine Edmonds is now up to four interceptions this year. And let me check my notes on that. I'm pretty sure, yeah, three of them, three of those have come since uh, the Bears traded for Montez Sweat. So he's been making plays like crazy ever since Montez Sweat has come in. And having that true, definable top, like star edge rusher is something this Bears defense desperately needed and being able to open up more one-on-one opportunities for other guys like Walker, like Jones, like Dexter, uh, like Ngakwe before he got hurt. Uh, it's been super beneficial for the defensive line, and that pressure up front has allowed the secondary to make some uh, better plays on the ball. So we've seen the turnovers have been super helpful for the Bears this season uh, down the stretch, and you know, obviously getting three interceptions against Joe Flacco today uh, – you know, it was a huge reason why they were even in this game to begin with. I mean, there's one pick six and one interception that got the Bears down at the one yard line. So if they didn't have that, that's uh, that's only three points. 
that Chicago's offense scored. So, yeah, Sweat was fantastic, and his impact not only with his own individual play, which was phenomenal today, but just the defensive unit as a whole has been really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, let's let, let's get into the second half offense here. Not not the very end, but kind of the second half offense because, you know, they get the Tremaine Edmonds pick six. They go up 14-7. The Bears put together a pretty good drive, finishes with three points. They're up 17-7. to And at yeah. that point, the way the defense is playing, you felt really good about how this game was going to finish. But then I'll be honest, you kind of start looking at what the Bears offense did after that point. You know, they get the, you know, they they go up 17-7, the defense gets a three and out, but the Bears go right back with, with a three and out. Punt again, you know, and again, it's seven plays, 32 yards, the Bears turn it over on downs. Three and out, three and out again, six and out. Like, the the, the opportunity for the offense to get some first downs, choose some clock, put the Browns, you know, put their backs against the wall. There were multiple opportunities and they just couldn't get it done. Now this is a very good Browns defense. I was hoping yeah. the Bears offense was going to be able to do a little bit better because they're so banged up and they've really struggled the last few weeks. Was not the case here, but but Jacob, this this offense and, you know, there there are some certain things about Justin Fields and, and we can we can get into it. Because uh, he and he did make some good plays, and there were certainly some drops and things that went against him. But Luke Getze's performance today, and I said last week that I thought Luke Getze wasn't perfect, but I thought Luke Getze called his best game of the season last week against Detroit. I really did. I thought what? there were adjustments made, like it was intelligent play, and this was just uninspired gobbledygook for for all I'm concerned. Yeah, I feel like there wasn't really any rhyme or reason for what the Bears were doing, what they were doing. And when you go up against a defense of the caliber of Cleveland, especially that defensive line, I'd figure there'd be a little bit more in the way of max protect, maybe some more uh, pre-snap adjustments from fields, maybe some more calls from Getze himself to go through and actually identify, hey, this defensive line is really tearing us up right now. They're dialing up the blitz pretty well. Let's keep an extra tight end on the field. Let's keep the running back in pass protection. And I don't feel like we saw enough of that. I feel like there were a lot of times where Fields was kind of left out to dry. And I feel bad for the guy. I really do because there are some uh, disappointing aspects of the Bears offense that I feel like were genuinely out of his control. That's not to say he played well today because I don't think that's the case, but I think Getze really didn't help him out all that much just because you're really not playing to the the strengths of your offense and mitigating the weaknesses. And we didn't really see a whole lot in terms of moving pockets either, which no, definitely not. has never really made sense to me why the Bears have gone away from that, especially with someone as athletic as Fields. But it also helps you scheme movement up front and – against a defensive line with Miles Garrett, against a defensive line with, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson making plays up front. Uh, you could use that. So Darius Smith, even another defensive lineman the Browns have. That's a talented unit. And the Bears didn't really change their game plan to adjust for that, which I think that's an indictment on Getze. Uh, <laughs> in my opinion, he should his fate's been sealed for a long time. It's just a matter of, all right, it's a formality. He's going to finish out the season because that's what the Bears do, apparently. 
Uh, but yeah, this definitely didn't do anything to help out his cause. This didn't do anything to help Eberflus's cause for that matter, for that being his offensive guy on the staff. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the issue with what Getsy did is the play calling was so poor. It was disjointed. And like you said, he was not, you know, it, it goes simple. And I mean, Patrick Manley and I talked about this when he was on my podcast, like six weeks ago. I mean, yeah. the, the coordinators jobs are, are to put players in positions to succeed, like the, the basic core level. And, and that just doesn't happen. And even when you get, you know, and I, I tweeted it out and it, it, you felt like there was something there for Justin Fields to be had uh, when the, the, the Browns tied it up at 17 and Fields is going to get the ball back. He's got enough time to do something. You're like, okay, drive the ball down, get three points, win the game, and you know, put your stamp on you being the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. You felt like he had this opportunity. And, and I had some people respond, well, he did it against the Vikings. I don't care. Like, you got to keep doing it. Like, you, when you have these opportunities, you, we're not asking him to get seven, and he got down to the 12-yard <laughs> line and fell short. We're asking for yeah. a drive to get three points. And, and you know, you can't even get that upset with Justin Fields that he couldn't get it done when you run this play to Khalil Herbert, you know, on first down that was just had no place to go out of the gate. And suddenly it's second and 15 and Fields back is against the wall. Yeah, I mean, did he, did he you know, get it done? No, he didn't. And I don't want to sit here and keep making excuses for him because it's December 17th and it, the excuses are over. This yeah. is the reality of Justin Fields' situation, whether it's fair or not. And we're just again, you, you see the the roller coaster of Justin Fields, where his first touchdown to Cole Komet was just freaking hero ball, incredible. You know, Miles Garrett had him in his sights. He gets out of it, scrambles across 45 yards across the entire field, hits Cole Komet, and you're just like, holy cow. Yeah. You know, Adam Johns is tweeting out, this is why you gotta keep Justin Fields. And, yeah. and then you have plays like that, and then when you look at the full body of work, and again, it's a great defense, and Luke Getze did him no favors, but the bottom line is the, the numbers today and the the offensive output, when you're talking about 17 points, and like you said, it's a pick six, it's a first and goal from the one that they scored on, and you got one drive together for three points, it's just not enough. Yeah, and that's like that level of output, regardless of what kind of defense you're going up against, is disappointing. And this is like th this is just the thing that I feel like has been the case with the Bears for quite some time. Uh, with Eberflus, with Getze as the offensive coordinator, you know, even going back to Matt Nagy, you're forcing this offense to play your style instead of adjusting your style to fit the offense. And I think that's a sign of a bad football coach, in my honest opinion, is you can't adapt, so you're you're forcing your players to adapt for you. I feel like, sure, to some extent, you know, you need to hold the players accountable for their own individual efforts, but it's still just baffling to me the way that Getsy has utilized this team, the way that the Bears continually find a way to force the square peg into the round hole into the round hole. So uh, yeah, it, this is just another disappointing game on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, not really doing anything to help out Justin Fields. And you're right. Uh, whether it's fair or not, I think this is what Justin Fields is in the NFL. It's near the end of year three, the, the trial and error stage is gone that that passed months ago. 
we know what he is now and what he is is inconsistent and whether or not you want to keep him at quarterback and move on from Caleb Williams and move on to Drake may that's up for you to decide, but just know that if you do that, the flashes with fields are going to be really good. Like that, that the, the play you mentioned where he got out of for miles Garrett's grasp and threw the touchdown pass to Cole Komet. That was a special play. That's a play that very few quarterbacks in the league can make, but fields is one of those quarterbacks who can make that play. But you're also looking at someone who, you know, fumbled the ball twice. You're also looking at someone who completed less than 50% of his passing attempts. And if you stick with fields, just know that that roller coaster is what you expect. So is that something the bears are going to do? I don't think so. I don't whether think so that, either at this point. Yeah. Whether that's something I would do or not is irrelevant, but because I don't think the bears are going to pass up on the chance to start over at QB. And I feel for fields. I really do. He got dealt so many bad hands, but it is what it is. It is what it is at this point. And I feel like you can blame Getsy to an extent. You can blame Eberflus. You can even blame Poles uh, last year for trotting out Equinemia St. Brown as Fields wide receiver too and expecting him to do well. But at the end of the day, there has to be some level of individual accountability. And I feel like Fields needs to be held accountable to that extent. And I think that's you know something that's going to be in the mind of Ryan Poles as this uh, season comes to a close and the offseason kicks up. Yep. And, and, and look, and here's, here's where the evaluation is on, on Matt Eberflus. And, and we're, let's, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball here, Jacob, because yeah. this is, this is approximating that because I'm just doing the math in my head here really quick, but the bears defense gave up 180 yards through three quarters. Yeah. They gave up 195 yards in the fourth quarter. Most of that on Joe Flacco yeah. passing yards, some of it on the ground as well. Yeah. 195 yards in the fourth quarter, three scoring drives, 13 points, and they lost the game. They gagged the game away. And this is the problem with Matt Eberflus when you're yeah. talking about, oh, well, he's turned the corner with the defense. He's turned the corner with the defense. Now, to be fair, yeah, he turned the corner with this defense. This defense is playing much better, and they played really well again through three quarters today. Yeah. But we're talking about now a head coach that blew – this game today to Cleveland blew the Detroit game, a historic loss where he gave up a 12-point lead with, what, four minutes to go. Yeah. No one had ever blown a game like that where you got the plus three in turnovers and 40 minutes of possession. And the Broncos game, which was literally the biggest blown lead in the history, the 104-year history of the <laughs> Chicago Bears franchise. This is yeah. what is on Matt Eberflus. And, and, you know, you keep hearing a lot of the – the pro Eberflus crowd, well, you can't count 2022. They were purposely bad. Okay, fine. Let's throw out 2022. 2023 is showing that Ryan Poles, to me right now, what it's showing is that Ryan Poles has put together a talented team, a talented mm -hmm. defense, by the way, that has six, what I will call six second round picks invested in it. Because you yeah. had the two got two defensive backs from 2022. You had mm -hmm. Stevenson and Dexter this year. Montez Sweat for a second round pick, and Zach Pickens, while a third round pick, was the 64th overall pick because of the Dolphins losing a draft pick in the first round. So in yeah. essence, it's the last pick of the second round. It just happened to be a third round pick this year. So. When you have six second-round picks invested, $18 million in Tremaine Edmonds, Montez Sweat, $25 million a year. When you have all these pieces you keep investing into the defense, 
It yeah. better be good. So yeah, Matt Eberflus yeah. is is utilizing all these assets that Ryan Poles has given him, and and kudos mm -hmm. to you. But I need to see this defense overachieving constantly. That's where I need to feel confidence with Matt Eberflus. And I thought we were getting there, but then to have this again and have another gag job. This is the yeah. third really massive loss to me. I don't care if he's a great defensive coordinator or whatever. Matt, Matt Eberflus, the head coach, has three horrible losses on yeah. his on his resume this season. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest here: if they beat the Cardinals as one of their you know six seven wins next you know next week, which I would expect them to do, three of his wins are going to come against Washington, Arizona, and Carolina. Which right now, if the season ended today. Those three teams would have three of the first four picks in the draft. Mind you, the Bears would be picking fifth. But you, you have to look at the body of the work. And the Bears, that Detroit win was a good win. And I'm not taking that away from Matt Eberflus. But you're beat, you're taking advantage of a soft schedule and you're not taking advantage enough of it. I'm looking at Matt Eberflus here and saying, you know, I, I tweeted it out as, as kind of a little tongue-in-cheek but serious that the future of the Bears franchise was riding on the outcome of this game. And it was because I think Luke Getze, Matt Eberflus, Justin Fields, they were so tied to having a strong finish here. And especially this defense giving up 180 yards in the fourth quarter to a Joe Flacco off the sofa. You just can't have it, Jacob. You can't have it. It's brutal. It truly is. And you look at the quarterbacks that Matt Eberflus has beat. So you're looking at this year alone, it's Sam Howell, Brian Hoyer, Bryce Young, Josh Dobbs and Jared Goff. Granted, Goff is a good quarterback, but those other four are hardly world beaters. They're, you know, either they're they've all been benched or they're among the worst starters in the league right now. And then 2022, you're looking at Trey Lance, Davis Mills, Mac Jones, and that's it. Those are the quarterbacks that Matt Eberflus has beat. And Granted, they've had good offensive performances against some solid defenses. They've had good defensive performances against solid quarterbacks but when you can't win those games when you can't defeat some of those guys like when Joe Flacco like you mentioned a, a month ago he wasn't even on a team now he's throwing for 374 yards against you and he's marching down the field consistently to uh to eventually take over the game and win that's unacceptable and yeah the defense has been a lot better in Chicago and Eberflus deserves some credit for that but I'm with you. I truly think that a lot of this comes down to the investment that Poles has made on that side of the ball. And it just becomes a matter of, do you think that a different coach could maximize that defense better? And not just the defense, but the team as a whole. And I feel like after, especially after a loss like this, the answer has to be yes. Yeah. Now, and while, while we're talking about the defense here, before we get to the final play of the game here, then uh, we'll take a quick break. But the third and 15 on what became the game-winning field goal drive by the Browns. Now, I, I watched the play, and it was, you know, I was frustrated. I can't believe you give up a first down on, on third and 15. And then I see Nicholas Moriano from, from CHGO. I see him tweet out that Justin Jones was covering David Njoku on that <laughs> play. And, and I'll be honest, when I read that, my brain changed Justin Jones to Jalen Jones because – of course, 
a defensive tackle would not be covering David and Joku. So I, my brain just changed it. And I was just like, well, why was Jalen Jones in the game? What's going on? Was someone hurt? Like, what? why would you be rotating out corners at, at that point in the game? And then I'm like, oh, no, Justin Jones. And I see the replay. I'm like, what? David and Joku and Amari Cooper were eating you up. Like, how no. you have a defensive scheme called where there is any possibility that Justin Jones is the guy who's going to be one-on-one -on -one with David and Joku. I don't care what positives Matt Eberflus may have done in the last month with that defense. Jacob, when you have play calls that are that egregious, you, it's it's unacceptable. Yeah, and I'll never understand that. I feel like that just comes down to trying to be too cute, and you're trying to, I don't know, you're trying to catch them off guard too much. Like Justin Jones, fine athlete for a defensive tackle, why do you have him in coverage? I don't know. Why? Uh, that, that's something that I'll never understand with some of these coaches in the NFL. They're a penchant for defensive linemen dropping back into coverage, but especially defensive tackles. Like, unless you have a generational athlete at that position, that just doesn't make sense. And when you consider, like you said, Njoku did a really good job. He was torching. Chicago's defense. He played great in the afternoon. Yeah, he was fantastic. He had the most catches out of anybody on either team in that game. So to rely on when you have Tremaine Edmonds, you have a freak athlete for, with tremendous size at linebacker. You have that. You have Jaquan Brisker, who's physical enough. You can put him on a tight end. TJ Edwards, not all that great in coverage, but he's still physical. You could work something there. Why? Why? I don't, have any, I don't have any other questions. Just why? That genuinely makes no sense to me. Yeah, that's why I had the the Sheldon Cooper gif where he just throws the papers up in the air. Because it, why? It makes yeah. absolutely no sense. This isn't like you're, you know, when the the Browns come out and they're three tight end sets and it's the third tight end. He's a blocking tight end. and Justin Jones ends up on him. It's David. Freaking Njoku, he's one of the top tight ends in the league. And, yeah. and you're just letting him slip through your defense like that. That was that was uncalled for. That was a terrible job for Matt Eberflus. And those are the kind of things that's why Matt Eberflus, I think, is going to lose his job at the end of the year. And at this point, even if they finish with a three-game you know, winning streak, I, I don't care because yeah. these games don't matter anymore. And we'll, we'll get to that on the other side of the break here. But before we take a quick break, let's talk about the final play of the game and Darnell Mooney and – like, all right, you know, first of all, you know, I didn't have any expectations for that drive 30 seconds ago, whatever it was, no timeouts. Yeah. You know, then Tyler Scott lets the ball go through his hands. What are you doing, Tyler? But then makes up for it. Makes a really nice play. Keeps his feet in bounds on the sidelines for quite a while. Gets some extra yards. Gets the Bears in a position to, to try and score points. Was, you know, couldn't get in field goal range. But then Justin lofts it up and... You know, go, if, if you you want to see the perfect freeze frame, go check out Adam Hogue's Twitter because he's got a freeze frame of Darnell Mooney and he is sitting on the ground and he has his arms below the ball. It is cradled perfectly. And, you know, Hogue just saying basically Darnell Mooney did not catch this football. And it's remarkable that he yeah. basically decided to bend it like Beckham, kick it out of his own hands into a defender of course justin fields gets another interception it's irrelevant at that point he shouldn't have gotten one at the first half that was a drop maybe they'll change that i don't know but yeah. the bottom line is here forget the justin fields interceptions you had an opportunity to still win the game 
on that play and Darnell Mooney and, and Jacob, I know a lot of Bears content creators and fans were excited for the idea of DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Chase Claypool at the beginning of the year. Like, wow, they're going to actually have three legitimate wide receivers to go with a yeah. nice Cole Komet, you know, as, as, a, uh, as a, you know, safety valve. Finally, and, you know, Chase Claypool was a debacle. He's off this team. Darnell Mooney is was not getting targets, and then Fields really tries to work on the ball last couple of weeks, and he can't catch the football. And that was egregious, and that cost them the game. And that drop, seriously, that drop may cost Justin Fields his career in Chicago. It very well might, honestly. And that's one of those things where – you know, without context, without having seen the play, you think, oh, it was a tip tell Mary pass. You know, it's tough to catch. But it was literally right in his hands. Nobody was around him. He had it. He literally dropped to the ground. He sat down with the ball in his hands and then just, he, like, kicked it out. He kicked it out of, out of his own hands. And that was the, – the Browns had a fantastic uh, defensive performance, but that was the best defensive performance against the Bears offense that was played all game was – Mooney letting the own ball out of his hands and ultimately dropping that pass. So can you blame the entire loss on Mooney? No, because a lot of things went wrong on the offensive side of the ball. And then on defense, uh, they kind of just let their foot off the gas a little bit, but you should have had that. And like you said, heading into the year, it's like, Oh, the bears have this three headed monster. On offense, DJ Moore is a very good receiver. Darnell Mooney's hit a thousand yards before. Chase Claypool uh, has got a full year in the system. He's got a full opportunity to maybe bounce back to his rookie play, but that didn't happen. Mooney hasn't looked like even half of the player he was in 2021. Luckily, DJ Moore's come to play and he's been fantastic this season, but even still, there's just a lot going wrong for that Bears offense. And I think just Looking at what the Bears need to do in the offseason, I feel like finding a wide receiver too has to be uh, arguably their top priority because if, if you're going with QB, you probably know what you're going to do. At the, You're taking one with the number one pick. But what do you do with that other first-round pick? What do you do with all that money uh, that you have in free agency? What do you do with a third-round pick even? You need to figure out what, how you're going to address the wide receiver position and make it better for whoever's throwing the ball. Yeah, and 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 like you said, you you can't blame Darnell Mooney for the entire loss, but you know you sit there and go, Mooney's play was poor. The Bears' yeah. offense was. I I just checked because I knew it was bad. Yeah. Four for twenty on oh. third and fourth downs. Four for twenty converting third and fourth downs the entire game. Yeah. That's that's again on Luke Getze for putting them in a lot of third and longs and not third and manageables. It's on Justin Fields, though, also for not converting them. You blame Luke Getze for not running the ball effectively, not chewing the clock effectively, doing a lot of disjointed, you know, not doing the right things with Justin Fields. You blame Robert Tanyan for the drop. You blame Darnell Mooney for the drop. You blame the defense for really letting up in the fourth quarter. You blame Matt Eberflus for some of these defensive play calls. There's a lot. When you blow a game like this, it is very rarely on one person, and it was not. This was a collective loss from the entire team, the entire organization, where if you're Kevin Warren and you're Ryan Poles and you're looking at this, you sit there and go, this is unacceptable. It comes down to, you know, yes, it comes down to execution, but the execution needs to come 
you know, making sure that the coaches are driving that home, that this is the fourth quarter. Your season is on the line. The playoffs are on the line. There's so much on the line here. And to have that kind of fourth quarter performance, that kind of meltdown, I'm trying not to yell at Jacob because it's not his fault. <laughs> I, I, I tried my best. I cheered them on. I, I cheered real hard. But when you have that kind of a failure from the coaching staff, the entire defense, the quarterback, the, the, it just – Every person, you know, individual performances, when you have that many problems all at once, you just sit there and go, this was a pressure game. They had gotten to the point where they were on the map and people were talking about it. And I said, if they had won this game, they were going to be, you know, on get, you know, the topic on get up and, you know, first take and and all the national media was going to be talking about the Chicago Bears are six and eight. They got manageable games coming up. Nobody in the NFC is going to want the Chicago Bears in the playoffs. That was going to be the conversation on Monday for the Chicago Bears, not what are they going to do with Justin Fields. No, it was once it was going to be positive about this Bears team, how good they are, how dangerous they are, and with one epic collapse in the fourth quarter, the season is over. Yeah, that was a good rant. I I, I like that. Yeah, that was good. All right. I don't think there's really too much I could add to that. Honestly, I feel like uh, you summed it up well. It's just at this stage, it feels like just a nightmare scenario where we're living over and over and over again. And I remember coming into this season being extremely excited, saying, all right, Fields is going to build off of what he showed in year two, where sure there is inconsistency, but there were serious flashes. Those flashes have still been there, but they're fewer and farther between. And the coaching staff still is poor. The offensive play calling is pitiful. The defensive execution, while better, is still a work in progress. And when they have the lead, they don't know what to do with themselves because they're not used to winning. And you could say, oh, well, it's because the Bears down the stretch last year, they didn't learn how to win. And to that, I say I'd rather have the number one pick and then have traded back with all that. I'd rather have DJ Moore, Darnell Wright, Tyreek Stevenson, the number one pick in this year's draft potentially, and a second rounder in 2025. I'd rather have that than the very vague concept of learning how to win. But it's still worth mentioning that they don't know what to do with themselves when they have the lead. They play scared. They back themselves into a corner. They – just fall apart and I'm used to it at this point. And I feel like there's really very little that can be done to save Eberflus at this point. Getsy's as good as gone, no matter who's head coach. And I really do think that this was the end for Justin Fields and you could still turn things around. Maybe like if he's fantastic, these next three games, then sure. You go eight and nine, Justin Fields throws for like 300 yards. Then, you know, by all means, but he hasn't done that. He hasn't done that in his NFL career to this point. And, you know, why is, why is there reason to think that that's going to change now? Yeah. All right. This is not your average bears post game show. Bill Zimmerman, along with Jacob and Fonte, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've touched on it a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit here, a uh, big picture. We'll even talk a little bit about the number one pick and we'll get to your questions and comments. So stick around. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the post-game show. And Jacob, let's let's get into kind of some big picture here. You know, first off, before we do that, I just want to mention a little bit about, you know, playoff hopes, because I'm already seeing the Bears aren't mathematically eliminated. They could still get in at eight and nine. And I'm telling you right now, stop it. Don't even consider it. Like I, I sat there with NFL schedule predictor for way too many hours last week playing with different, different situations. It was tough for them to get in at nine and eight. And the Packers and Rams were causing massive problems in tiebreak situations for them to get in for one of those last two wildcard spots yeah. at nine and eight. I think it was only about a 40, maybe 50% chance. I know, I think the, the technical percentages was 60% in terms of like what the, what the analytics said, but it felt less than 60% for me, even if they ran the table and went nine and eight, I was still going to enjoy it. I was going to have fun with it at eight and nine. I mean, you're talking about the Panthers beating, you know, multiple teams down the stretch, which is a bad thing. And anyway, you're talking about the Washington commanders beating good teams. You're talking about a lot of miracles happening to knock enough teams down to seven and 10 that already have seven wins that the bears can't beat in a tiebreaking scenario. So the whole thing is a mess. They needed to be nine and eight. So don't even consider the playoffs as an option. The season is over. Like this game today ended the season. So yes, there's three games left to go. They've got to, they got to play these games. They're probably going to win one or two of them. The season is over. So it it comes down to now, can you get any legitimate, you know, in term evaluation, these last three games to me, you can't like this ended the evaluation for Matt Eberflus, for Luke Getze and for Justin Fields. If Justin Fields goes out next week and throws for 350 yards and five touchdowns against the Arizona Cardinals on Christmas Eve, when the Arizona Cardinals just want to be home and with their families and not playing in negative eight degree weather in Chicago, I don't care. Like, like I don't care when Mitch Trubisky would throw three touchdowns in the fourth quarter against new Orleans when they were down 31 to six. It doesn't matter. So to me, this is just kind of playing out the string and and I'm disappointed and I'm frustrated that this is how things I think are going to end with Justin Fields. But, you know, like we'll we'll, we'll start here with the offense. To me, this was the nail in the coffin for Luke Getze. It should be the nail in the coffin for Matt Eberflus because, again, when, you know, and, and I brought this up to Adam Johns on my podcast last week and it was my brother's point and my brother brought up the Cubs and brought up the 2013 Cubs that, you know, they had a bad year that, you know, it was the middle of the Theo Epstein rebuild. I think they'd won 65 games. They bring in Rick Renneria in 2014. He gets a big improvement. The last 60 games of the year, they play with a winning record. They win eight, nine games more than they did the year before. And Rick Renneria deserved to keep his job. And Matt Eberflus, if you're just trying to pull back and say, 
look at how much better this team is playing down the stretch. He should keep his job. You could absolutely make that argument. But to me, when I look at Matt Eberflus, I think it's the same way that Theo Epstein looked at Rick Renneria. Is Rick Renneria going to be the guy that is going to break the 100-whatever-year curse of the Chicago Cubs and win a World Series? He didn't think so. He went out and got Joe Madden. Is Matt Eberflus the coach that is going to turn around this basically you know, 18, 20 years, whatever it is, of ineptitude of the Chicago Bears franchise and start winning consistently? I don't need another fluke you know, 12 and four Matt Nagy season with just a bunch of mediocrity around it. I want sustained success. Ryan Poles has put enough talent on this field with assets coming in out of his ears with more assets coming and coming and coming. And, and he's just, he has set this team up so well. Yeah. Is Matt Eberflus the guy that I think can be atop this team coach this team, you know, succinctly and effectively every Sunday, win football games and do it consistently year in and year out. I don't see it. I don't either. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up about the Cubs analogy, because it was exactly that Rick Renteria things turned around really well for the Cubs. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of, can you win the world series? Can you win the Super Bowl in the bears case with Matt Eberflus? I don't think you can. And in my honest opinion, if you're not playing for the Super Bowl, then what are you playing for? And at this stage, with how much talent the Bears have brought in on both sides of the ball, you need to start pushing towards the future, and you need to start pushing towards, all right, we need a, we need uh, 2024 to be that big year that we take the leap. So if you take a rookie quarterback, then that kind of – you know, messes things around a little bit, but you can still make the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. I mean, you're seeing Justin Herbert thrived early on in his Chargers tenure. CJ Stroud, uh, the Texans are in the wild card hunt right now. So you can win with a rookie quarterback. It's just really a matter of 2024, can you make that push? 2025, can you be Super Bowl contenders? And it's a year later than what we expected this whole situation to be, I'm sure a lot of Bears fans, including myself, thought, all right, this team's going to seriously push for, for the playoffs this year, and then next year they're going to be a legitimate contender. As it stands right now, I don't think the Bears are in place to be a legitimate contender in 2024, and a lot of that is on the coaching staff. So I think that at a certain point, yes, things are better than they used to be, but that's still settling for – a team that blows a 17 to seven lead to Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns uh, in the fourth quarter. So I don't think that this, you know, this concept of, okay, you're winning a few more games and the culture's a little bit better. Okay, great. Are you winning a lot of games? No, you're still losing much more than you're winning. So I feel like that's, the nail should be in the coffin for Eberflus, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it has to be. And that's where, I mean, we're talking about three epic fourth quarter collapses now in one season. Three. Yeah. Like, now, not over the course of two years. I mean, it's incredible to me that this keeps happening. It's it's just unacceptable. And it just, it can't continue. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to separate Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, to, from Matt Eberflus, the head coach, and, try and evaluate it and figure it out because Matt Eberflus isn't going to be the defensive coordinator on this team next year. If he's brought back, there's going to be someone else in there calling yeah. plays and he's going to be back in CEO. And, and I'm going to be honest, if you're just like, well, he deserves a chance. 
Also keep in mind, if he deserves a chance and he you're saying that he deserves a chance and has to bring in a new offensive and defensive coordinator and his first two offensive and defensive coordinators put whatever Alan Williams did off the field aside, yeah. Alan Williams' defensive game plans as his first year and the in the first game against the Packers and the Bucs, he wasn't calling the plays, but he put that game plan in for Tampa, were horrendous. He was a, a hideous defensive coordinator for his opportunities here. Luke gets it. We all are disappointed in. And now Matt Eberflus is going to bring in two new guys? No, thanks. So the, I just look at the whole thing here with Matt Eberflus, and that's it. You know, I, I tried to get positive. I tried to, you know, stir the marinara and join the meatballs and enjoy this playoff run last week. I was all aboard. But, of course, you know, the Bears are going to do Bears things and, and screw up, and that's exactly what happened here. So when, when, when we talk about the, the last big picture item here, we've gotten rid of the coaching staff. It's Justin Fields, and it is unfair. And you said, Jacob, earlier, it's, it's unfair the situations he's been in. And like I said, I've said it multiple times. It's like he was dealt an eight-high poker hand, like the worst you could possibly be. He is just in absolutely no – had no opportunities here. He was in a terrible situation with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace trying to save their jobs with a rookie quarterback. That was totally unfair. And Nagy did not know what he was doing with Justin Fields. We actually saw Fields improving throughout that season, actually, but totally unfair situation. Then he gets put on a roster that's purposely bad. He's got no one to throw to. Then Darnell Mooney gets hurt. And they literally, he's, I mean, ESB's his number one receiver. Nikhil Harry, Byron Prink. I mean, just the worst group of wide receivers you could possibly imagine. It's going to, it rivals that wreck of receivers what was it 2016 or whatever when marcus wheaton was wide receiver one like uh, it was yeah. it was 20, that, that. that was 2017 i think 2017 marcus kendall Wright. like oh yeah it was so, was so excited about dontrell inman that year that's how bad things were and then he was like out of the league the next year yeah it, un unbelievable how bad that was and that's literally what they had last year so field and no offensive line so fields was hung out to dry all season you finally get pieces in place here and you've seen some improvement, but now we're 30, you know, 40 starts in here nearly. He's still inconsistent. There's, there's issues to be had still, and it's frustrating and it's unfair, but you're at the point and it's Carolina Panthers pick. And we got to talk about that before we get to comments and questions. If it's the number one pick or potentially the number two pick, that's going to be up to the bears and what their thoughts are on Drake may presuming Williams goes first. If the Panthers had the fifth or sixth pick here and the Bears had the seventh or eighth pick and no one would be really sitting here going, well, should they go with Justin Fields or J.J. McCarthy? We, we understand what the situation would be there. Yeah. But you've got the number one pick. You've got a prospect who has his flaws, and I'm sure you've watched him plenty, Jacob. I know that's what you do. But is still a guy, when I've watched his some longtime talent evaluators, when I've talked to a couple of them, the guys that have been scouting quarterbacks for 30 or 40 years, he is still in the top 10, top eight quarterbacks they have ever scouted over 30, 40 years. That's a hell of a prospect. And when you're talking about needing to pay Justin Fields $45 million in a year or two, it's too good of a prospect to me to, to not restart this whole thing. Justin Fields, you know, we're blowing out the coaching staff. He'd have to learn an entire new offense again. Like, it, it, there's just a lot of issues that he would have to overcome, fairly or unfairly, and I certainly feel it's unfairly. That It just feels like when Matt Eberflus's time comes, which I think is happening, Justin Fields does as well. 
I agree. I agree. And I think that, you know, it sucks. It's definitely an unfair situation for fields, but it's, it's the situation. It's where we're at right now as a, as where we're at as a fan base to be able to witness this, but where they're at as an organization where you have this opportunity to, and I think people get so overcritical of Caleb Williams, especially, uh, but also Drake May, because you, you you kept hearing, oh, Caleb Williams is a generational talent. I don't think that's the case. I think we've seen he certainly, like you said, he has his flaws. And some of those flaws are similar to Fields' flaws. But I also think that Williams has a better arm. He's he's a better decision maker out of structure. And, I love the release, Jacob. Oh, the release is incredible. Yeah, you're talking – just lightning quick, you know, fields has a little bit of the hitch. So it's a little bit longer and it takes him a little bit time, a little bit more time to, you know, go through his dropbacks and get the ball out. I doubt that's ever going to be a problem with Williams and sure. Fields is bigger. Fields is more athletic. Uh, I will give that in his credit. And he has more NFL experience compared to Caleb Williams who has none, but the, the question becomes, would you rather pay Caleb Williams, like, what is it, seven, eight million to be the number one overall pick? Or would you rather have Justin Fields and have to pay him about 40 something million dollars? And you can go down to you can trade down from one and get more than you can get for Fields, which is true. A trade down would give the Bears more draft capital. Uh, then and keeping fields than it would be if you just took Caleb at one and then traded fields. But in the same token, though, by saying that, isn't that you admitting that Williams is the more valuable asset to have? If you're willing to move off of the number one pick and get realizing you can get more in that trade down, isn't that just outright admitting, look, other teams are going to think Williams is more valuable uh realistically we think Williams is more valuable if we're willing to deal for that much and we're asking for that much uh but we'll keep fields anyway so uh, granted I don't mean to completely shut down the fields argument because I do feel like there are some valid reasons I you know wrote out in an article and I made sure that the the word count was even down to the very last word so nobody <laughs> could accuse me of being biased I put together valid reasons for keeping fields and against fields. And I understand some of the reasons that people have for keeping fields, but I think the bears will trade him. And I think they'll take, if they have the number one pick Caleb Williams, if it's number two, then we'll see. I, I still think Drake may is a very talented quarterback. Caleb's my QB one right now, but may's, you know, not too far behind. He's still right. a very talented prospect in his own right so i'm glad to hear that and i appreciate that chris uh in the comments about what you said about my article uh check that out if you haven't already i spent way too much time on that uh probably for my sanity it's going to be a couple months until i write out a like a three thousand word article like that ever again but we'll see uh i i just feel like at this stage uh as unfair as it may be i think the writing's on the wall 
Yeah, I, I think it is. And, um, you know, start Kyle Orton, who, uh, you know, if you follow him on Twitter was, uh, and he was on this podcast, you know, on the post game show a couple months ago, I think it was a chargers game that, that he did. And, and, and he, he said something to me when we were, we were DMing a little bit, he said the Justin Fields is the high you, you've moved on to college and he's your high school girlfriend and you've yeah. decided to make the long distance thing work. And you're just a couple weeks into college and you already know it's not going to work but you just, you, you don't want to let go, right? You, you're just like, no, 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 we got to, we got to make sure we make this work. And, and I like that analogy. I, I feel like that there's a lot of bears fans that love Justin Fields. And I did a poll question and four, over 4,000 responses. And it was, you know, 70% said, no, Justin Fields needs to be the quarterback next year. And I get it. He's electric. He does things that no other quarter, including Lamar, like no other quarterback in the league can do the things that Justin Fields can do, but there's just enough, of the writing on the wall, like you said, where it's just going to be too much to overcome. And again, it's this, it's this number one pick that the Carolina Panthers have that, that changes everything if that's where it ends up being. So before we get to comments and questions, and if you have any, drop them in right now, we will get to them to wrap up the podcast, but let's talk a little bit about this Panthers pick because the Panthers beat the Falcons today, the Falcons with an absolutely pathetic performance um, and they, they lost the game nine to seven Carolina gets their second win of the year. And, and here's where it gets tough, Jacob, for, for bears fans, because the green Bay Packers are now six and eight and the Packers need to run the table here to get themselves in the playoffs. Yeah. And it's going to start with the Carolina Panthers <laughs> on Christmas Eve. So bears fans, if you want to hold on to that number one pick, the Panthers win that one. It's going to be a headache for the Bears to hold on to this. Mm-hmm. You need the Green Bay Packers to beat Carolina yes. on Christmas Eve. It's going to be tough um, to do. Then you got Jacksonville on New Year's Eve for Carolina. In Jacksonville, they're going to be pushing for the playoffs. That's one that's almost certainly a loss. And I, I'll be honest, they finish on January 7th with a home game against the Bucks, which was one of those I was concerned about because I felt like the Bucs weren't going to have anything to play for. But the Bucs pushing to 7-7 seven and seven and the NFC South being what it is, Tampa should have something to play for here. But the, the Patriots and the Panthers are in a virtual tie. There's one percentage point apart. When you get to the thousands in the decimal points, there's one percentage point apart right now in strength of schedule that can go either way down the stretch. You need the Panthers to lose out here to be safe. If they win one more game, it could fall into the second spot. It's not going to change with Arizona. Arizona's schedule is too hard. But you win one more game if you're the Carolina Panthers, and the Bears may lose that first overall spot. Yeah, and I'm interested in seeing how Carolina finishes up because Atlanta's not a good team. I feel like you're at that point. They're 6-8, and eight, but so much of that was one just you know a couple weeks ago, like earlier on in the year, they – performed better but they had that three game losing streak and then scoring seven points against the Carolina Panthers I think that says all what you need to say about Atlanta but I'm going to be watching I'm going to be watching closely to see what Carolina does the rest of the year I think that it's possible maybe they could sneak a win in one of those uh, Packers or Buccaneers games but I don't know I want to I'm going to knock on wood and feel like I do believe the Panthers will end up having the worst record in the league. But at the same time, I don't feel super confident that the Patriots are going to win any game for the rest of the year. Cause you have Broncos, Bills and Jets. 
yeah, the Jets, in theory, is a winnable game, but you don't know. The Broncos have been playing pretty good football as of late. The Bills seem to be turning things around. I think those are both losses. So I think that's really going to come down to the final week of the season, which I hate, and I just love to have that little bit of cushion and the Panthers winning this game is really going to stress me out for these next couple weeks, but uh, it is what it is. So what I'm interested in finding out is can how many games can Arizona win? How many games can Washington win? Because I don't think Arizona is going to be a strong contender for the number one overall pick. I just don't think that's going to happen, but they could be a strong contender for the number two pick, the number right. three pick. I don't think they're going to move on from Kyler Murray. I don't think they should. I think if they have the second or third pick and quarterbacks go ahead of them, I think they'll take Marvin Harrison Jr. And could Washington, even though they need offensive line help, could they take Marvin Harrison Jr. to add alongside Terry McLaurin, to add with Javon Dot, uh, Jahan Dotson? Uh, maybe? I don't know. That comes down to the best player available. And I keep mentioning Marvin Harrison Jr., I know that's the long shot where I'm hoping the Bears can get him and Caleb Williams in some dream scenario. I realize it's unrealistic, but, you know, bear with me here. Uh, so that's what I'm looking at is to see how Arizona can do. I, I know Washington, as we're speaking right now, is getting throttled by the Rams. So, you know, say a prayer that things turn around in that case. And Arizona's losing to San Francisco right now, but – that Bears-Cardinals game is going to end up being really interesting for me because I feel like Arizona could end up, you know, if not this game against the 49ers, they could end up beating the Bears. And you never know, the Seahawks could fall apart. Who knows? But I'm in, I'm firmly in draft pick, draft pick mode right now. I was trying to think of the word to describe it, but I'm firmly in checking tankathon every Sunday. Uh, that's where I'm at. And I feel like that's really all that there is to, to strongly monitor at this point, because almost everything else seems like it's set in stone. Yeah. And, and just to, to kind of wrap up here on the number one pick talk yeah. and the, the, and, and the kind of the impact that the Tampa Bay bucks, the key here with the Panthers is, you know, the Packers are still going to try hard next week. They, as far as they're concerned, they're still in the playoff hunt and they are. So I, I, you would expect the Packers to win that game despite them not playing well this week. Yeah, And then you'd expect Jacksonville to win now. But again, if they win one of those games, the issue with Tampa is so assuming Atlanta's kind of out of this and it's between Tampa and New Orleans right now, who are both seven and seven. Tampa plays New Orleans on New Year's Eve and Tampa beat New Orleans earlier in the season. Yeah. So if they win that game, they're going to sweep the the regular season and that's going to give them the tiebreaker. So it's a situation where if the Panthers, or I'm sorry, if the Saints and Bucks are still tied going in the next week, and the Bucks win that one, and I believe it's in Tampa in, in Week 17, the Bucks win that one, then they're going to have a one-game lead with the tiebreaker against the the Saints. They're going to be locked into the four spot. The Lions will be locked into the three spot, so they will be locked in the four spot. The Week 18 game won't matter. And if the Week 18 game doesn't matter, then the, they, they can sit Mayfield, they can sit whoever they want and rest up for the playoffs, and the Panthers may win that game. So you want to make sure the Bucks are playing for something in Week 18. That's important. And the one other benefit I will say, 
with the Patriots being stuck in this basically virtual tie with the Panthers with strength of schedule is that the Patriots play the Jets in week 18, Jacob, and I can't see Bill Belichick in what may be his last game in New England laying yeah. down to the team he loves to beat. I, yeah. I, I don't care who's quarterbacking. I, Bill Belichick could throw it on uniform and quarterback the team himself. I feel good that the Patriots are going to be, unless Aaron Rodgers is playing, I feel good that the Patriots <laughs> are going to win that last game. Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense just because it's a a Jets team that's really struggled with quarterback play against a Patriots team that's really struggled with quarterback play. Sure, the Jets might have more talent right now, but with how bad both their quarterback situations are, I think it comes down to coaching. And I like Robert Sala. I think that Bill Belichick's a better coach than him. Uh, and I think that ultimately, you know, the stakes are going to be pretty high for Belichick from a pure pride perspective. So I do think that that's a game they could realistically win. Uh, Washington just scored a touchdown. So that's something, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to be way too invested in awful football games for the rest of the year. Uh, just to, you know, hope that Arizona or Washington or, you know, hell, even New England, uh, ends up winning some of these games and gives the bears more favorable draft position. Yeah. I I'm all about the draft picks right now. Absolutely. 100%. Let's get to a couple comments before we finish. I think yeah. most of the comments were about, you know, Getsy needs to go. Fluce needs to go. Yeah. You know, I, I think we've addressed a lot of the comments, so I'm not going to rehash a lot of them, but let's get to this one here from Rodori 17 stacked wide receiver class. Finding a wide receiver two should be a piece of cake for polls, even though he hasn't drafted receivers. Well, I wanted to address that one, Jacob, because obviously you're here and you're the draft guy. But I, I'll address this as kind of a building process as well. Yeah. We talk, and this this comment came up when we were talking about the fact that they don't have a wide receiver too because Darnell Mooney can't catch. So when, when we're talking about the wide receiver situation, they can't wait till the draft to address wide receiver. They need to spend time in free agency. I'm not saying they need to break the bank and go out and give Mike Evans, you know, a gob, you know, huge chunks of change. It'd be great if they did. I'm not going to oppose it, but they need to find a pretty good receiver. I like Marquise Brown. That's the guy I looked at that I said, you know what? He's got some speed. He could stretch the defense a little. I feel like he could be, you know, complimentary to DJ Moore. That's the guy I like. I'm not saying that's going to happen. You know, if you don't, if you disagree, go ahead and tell me that's fine, but they need to get a veteran who can play. And then I think with one of those two top 10 picks, they need to go out, if it's not Marvin Harrison, who we all love, whether it's Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze, they need to go out and get another receiver there because Tyler Scott, while he's shown some flashes here the last few weeks, I don't trust Tyler Scott as the third wide receiver on the team. Let him be the fourth wide receiver on the team. That's fine with me and see if he has you know another year of, of developing where he can get. Go out and get a veteran wide receiver that is reliable then go and get a big-time receiver at the top of this draft, pair them all with DJ Moore, and see what you got. No, I agree with you for sure. I think it's a really good wide receiver class. You should take advantage of it. But you also shouldn't rely entirely on that draft class to make the upgrades at receiver. You shouldn't rely entirely on Tyler Scott, who you know had a good game, and I really liked his tape coming out of Cincinnati. There's still a lot to be shown there that hasn't been shown. So – I feel like if you go into the assumption that he's a wide receiver four and he's more than that, fantastic. Then you're in a great situation. If you go into the expectation that he'll be a, like a wide receiver three or hell, even wide receiver two, 
and he doesn't take that next step, then you're in trouble. So I think that just because you have Scott there doesn't mean you shouldn't be aggressive in finding a receiver. Marquise Brown, this, he's a guy I also really like. If they do attack him in free agency, I think that'd be a good addition, a uh, good compliment to DJ Moore. And then, you know, neighbors, Coleman, Adunze, uh, Keon Coleman being uh, him. And then uh, Xavier Worthy, even out of Texas, if you trade down far enough. So to that point, but I do think free agency should be a focus at wide receiver to some extent. I'd like Noah Brown from the Texans is someone you could probably get for uh, yeah. who's been in spurts, really productive and probably won't break the bank. There are options they have out there. They could extend Darnell Mooney. I don't feel like they will. It just kind of seems like uh, it's an amicable divorce between the two sides. It's nothing doesn't seem like you know it's no hard feelings it's just it's not working out so uh i do think that free agency is something they need to attack in that regard but i also can see uh one of those first round picks being used on a receiver and honestly i'd even advocate for it just because of the talent that's there in that class and and i'm I'm hearing and and i'm not a guy who grinds the tape as deep as you do so you, you tell me if this is accurate or not that this wide receiver class and it's it's top heavy with some of these incredible talents at the top but it's deep as well where yeah. the fact that the bears with you know a fourth round pick you know they're going to be picking early in the fourth round there's going to be in what some years would be like late second round early third round talent that's going to fall that far because there's going to be so many really quality receivers in yeah. this draft that you can go out and like you say, you know, get a Noah Brown, Marquise Brown, you know, whatever it might be as a veteran, have, you know, a big time guy like a Neighbors or Harrison or whoever as your wide receiver three, Tyler Scott as your wide receiver four, then add another receiver in as your fifth wide receiver in like the fourth round, you know, and let them try and develop and see what you have there. And, and you know, maybe you're in a position where you don't, you know, I know he had a couple of nice runs. You don't need to keep Bayless Jones around anymore. Cause then, you know, you don't need to keep Trent Taylor. You need to find a punt returner. Trent yeah. Taylor's not the answer there either. So you tell me the bears could potentially get a receiver in round one and maybe even like early in day three, get another one. That's going to be a good value. Yeah, no, I'd support that for sure. And there are a lot of guys that I have like kind of that, uh, like that late round three, early round four grade that, you know, I'm kind of on the, like that hybrid, uh, grade right now that I think could realistically fall just because you can't draft, have such a deep run on all wide receivers. Naturally, someone's going to fall. Uh, Devontae Walker out of North Carolina is a guy I really like. He's been Drake May's wide receiver one since he was ruled eligible. Uh, and I actually got the chance to speak with him. I will have an uh, interview article with him uh, when you see the gridiron coming up soon. Cheap plug. Uh, Malachi Corley, the guy from Western Kentucky, I think is the best yak receiver in this class. You know, him not being a power five receiver, I think he'll fall a little bit, but I really like what I saw with him. And then you're looking at like a Ricky Pearsall from Florida, uh, Jacob Cowling from Arizona, Roman Wilson, Michigan. I could go on and on and on. There are a lot of guys, Lad McConkey from Georgia even. I have no idea where he's going to end up, but I have a round three on him. Uh, there are a lot of guys in this class that I feel like you could take – who would probably fall into the fourth round and even later in the fifth round, even in some cases, uh, and you could get good value out of them. So I wouldn't at all be opposed if they double dipped at receiver in the draft this year. Yeah, I, I would not be either. I think that's really got to be a focal point of this entire off season, especially if you're 
doing uh, Caleb Williams and, and you want to give him as much talent around him. So two comments here, not, not what I'm going to spend a lot of time on, but NFL fans love trolling other fan bases. So I'm just going to bring up, does it matter here? Who says Browns fan here. Great game guys. We knew it was going to be a defensive struggle. Good luck with the rest of the season and hope you nail the draft. Just want to bring up a nice comment from an opposing fan base. Cause again, we don't see those too often. And I'm going to wrap it up with Chris Armstrong who says you learn how to win by winning. It's not rocket science that's on the staff. And I just kind of felt like that was a good one to finish on because we've talked about, you know, Dan Weeder and, and Adam Hogue and some of the guys in the Chicago media saying the Bears don't need to tank games. They need to try and learn how to win. And that's been a, a focal point since last season for some of these guys. And I get that to an extent, but Jacob, you and I said that draft pick last year was far more valuable than beating a couple of mediocre teams in November or December. But again, they had an opportunity to learn how to win games this year. And in theory, they should have. If you look at these last three out of these last four, they beat a Carolina Panthers team. Bad team. I understand that. But, you know, they made the throw to Darnell Mooney. And I understand it was Bajant, but Bajant made the throw to Darnell Mooney that iced the game. The defense made enough plays. They held on, you know, bad decision by the coach to try and kick the field goal, you know, at 16-13. But they held on. They won that game. That's a you'll learn how to win a game kind of thing. Detroit, you blow the game, you realize what happens, and then you recover from that the next week. Minnesota, you go down the field, you kick a game-winning field goal, you learn how to win a game. Then you put together a great game against Detroit, you win comfortably, and you you know basically revenge from blowing that game before. The learning how to win in theory should be in place at this point. I understand it's only three wins, but it should be enough to start building on and moving forward. And when you have a fourth quarter performance like this, that we said is a failure across the boards. It's a failure by Justin Fields. I'm not saying he's first on the list, but it's a failure by Justin Fields. It's a failure by Luke Getze. It's a fail by Darnell Mooney, by, by Tanyan, by the defense, by Eberflus. It is a full-on organizational loss, a, you know, from coaching to players, everything in an embarrassing fourth quarter that cost you an opportunity to push for the playoffs the rest of the season and, in essence, ended your season today in Cleveland. You didn't learn how to win. You should have already done that. And to me, that is the final nail in the coffin for the Matt Eberflus, Justin Fields experience. It's time to reboot in 2024. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, if you do win this game, then that's great. Obviously, you're one step closer towards, you know, the long shot wild card appearance. But at the end of the day, when you have – and kudos to the Browns. They're, they performed very well, and I feel like there's not enough being said about the fact that they've had so much QB turmoil and they're still in position to uh, to make the playoffs as it stands right now. I think a lot of credit goes to the coaching staff. A lot of credit goes to the defense too uh, and how well they've performed, and especially through all the injuries they've had on the offensive line as well. Uh, so – their fighting spirit is impressive. I'll say that as an opposing, as a fan of the opposing team. But from a Bears perspective, I agree. You should have, if you're going, this year is going to learn how to win. There's been a little bit of that, but it's not. You should have done more of that by now. I feel like with the talent they have, they should be at the point where they should know how to win. And I think that just a lot of it came down to the coaching staff this time. So I guess 
I, I hate being the maybe next year type of guy, but I'm I'm thinking I'm guessing next year is going to be the the time they learn how to win. They'll have some uh, a, a little bit of a learning curve, but I feel like ultimately next season is when you have to start saying, okay, new coach, but now it's on polls with from a pure roster perspective to be able to say, all right, do these guys know how to win yet? So I don't know. Bulls has a lot of interesting decisions coming his way. I'm glad I'm not him. I'm glad I'm not the person who's making those decisions. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested in seeing what the offseason brings because the rest of the season, I'm honestly kind of just checked out. Yeah, no, it's it. it you you can't come up on, unless you're looking at draft, you know, yeah. positioning. To me, you can't look at anything the rest of the season because, like I said. Justin Fields going off, you know, maybe he goes off all three games. Again, it just doesn't matter to me because they're they're, they're games against teams that aren't competing for anything. So, yeah. Any final thoughts, Jacob, before we say goodbye? Uh, well, I've got one final thought, and it's just that game sucked, and I'm. Gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> and we know what happens when that game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you do whatever it is you're going to do, Jacob. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Bears fans, hang in there. There's got to be light at the end of the tunnel at some point. So hang in there. Hopefully Ryan Poles does a lot of good things, and we have an exciting 2024. That one sucks. But hang in there. Bear down, everybody. Jacob, thanks so much. We'll talk to you all soon. Adios. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.